Welcome to the Akashic Reading Podcast, presented by AkashicReading.com, the place where you can learn to access your soul's wisdom, or at least stop digging the hole any deeper. I'm your host, Terry Uktana, and today we'll be discussing free will, spirit guides, and how to work with them for the best results. Freedom, Autonomy, Sovereignty these things are highly prized in first-world countries and cultures. We each have the right to be and do whatever we choose. Now, more than ever before, we have the ability to create a life which is unique to our personality and co-create the culture we participate in. And more traditional cultures are participating in revolutions based on the desire of the people for additional freedoms participatory government, and social conditions, which allow them to integrate more fully into the international conversation on what it is to be alive in the 21st century. All of which sounds great and highlights the positive, aspirational side of free will. It appeals to our delight in play, our curiosity about what if, and the soaring feeling we get when a dream becomes possible or even real. But there's another side to free will, and that's responsibility. We are responsible for making sure what we choose to do doesn't hurt ourselves, for making sure what we do doesn't hurt others, and doesn't make it impossible for others to do what they wish to do which are grand generalizations about very complex issues, which keep lawyers all over the world working 24 hours a day. Because whether you see the human race as totally incapable of getting along with each other, or learning to be the best it can be through trial and error and tons of experience and centuries of case law, human beings are forever attempting to find middle ground between the individual's free will and the free will of others. The ongoing conversation, which can be seen in squabbles between siblings, turf battles between neighbors, water rights arguments between states' provinces, or land rights between countries, isn't unique to embodied human beings. It also occurs in the Akashics with one great difference. Souls experience what the other being or beings experience. In the Akashics, souls communicate via telepathy, sending and receiving thoughts, and telepathy, sending and receiving feelings. Which means at the moment one soul is thinking about wanting to do something, the soul next to them hears the thought and responds with a thought of their own, or a feeling and then the other responds to these, all practically instantaneously. Because of this type of visceral, immediate feedback on thoughts and feelings, our behaviors, the behavior of souls, are responsive and considerate. It doesn't mean we walk on eggshells, but we are much more integrated in how we live our lives, make our decisions, and in what motivates us and makes us happy. We actually live the principle that everyone else's happiness and well-being is ours, 
because the truth of this is apparent in every experience we have. Therefore, when we are embodied and working with beings in the Akashics, talking with our guides or angels, working with librarians in the Akashic library, exploring with our animal guides or totems, we need to keep the principles of free will in mind, meaning no being in the Akashics will act to take away our free will in any situation, right down to the level of not speaking until spoken to. This is why we write contracts with our teacher, our guides or angels, and any other souls and beings we will be interacting with during an embodied life, to set the parameters of what activities are allowed, requested, and required. This is important to consider, because if we've contracted with them not to interfere in our life concerning a certain subject, or about a certain aspect of it, we can hammer them with questions, prayers, and supplications all we want, and we won't get any answer. Or the answer we'll get is a version of, so sorry, but no. It's also why working in the Akashics is not like consulting an oracle, or, to be more precise, it's like consulting an oracle from ancient Greece or Sumeria. If you ask a general question, such as, what should I do now, or what's the meaning of my life, the answer given will be vague and full of if-then statements, because the Akashics can't tell a person what to do or what to choose. Each of us has free will to choose whatever we like regardless of the goodness or badness quotient. This is why I recommend to my clients and students that, whether working with guides, teachers, ascended masters, or other beings in the Akashics, they turn their questions around, utilizing free will in order to get the benefits of the wisdom available. For example, instead of hoping a message will deliver a plan which can be followed for the best possible life, ask about what plan you made before you came into this life. If you don't understand the answer, ask for it to be presented in a different way. Ask for clarification on the symbols you're receiving, visual, auditory, tactile. If you need healing, ask for a healer to come and help you heal. Be ready to actively participate in the healing and to do homework afterwards, because free will doesn't mean a free ride. If you need help in achieving something which you are struggling with, ask for help. The broader you can make the boundaries you have around what help can consist of while not relinquishing your free will and the responsibility it engenders, the more you open up the possibilities and the likelihood of synchronicities and miracles. Concerning spirit guides or guardian angels, everyone has them. Everyone. It takes a team to keep us in an embodied life, as this is not our natural state. We are, by design, 90% cut off from the communication forms and overall knowledge of whom we truly are and have forgotten what we mean to do during this lifetime. Knowing this will be the case, as part of the planning we do prior to coming into this life, we contract with other beings to be our guides. Each of us has three to seven guides, on average, who work to support us in various aspects of our existence here. 
there are two minimum requirements which all guides must meet. One is they are able to communicate with us while we are embodied. This is not something everyone can do. In actuality, it is a rare skill and a specialty mastered through education and a great deal of practice. The other is they must either have experienced embodiment themselves or show extensive empathy for the embodied state. This enables them to make informed decisions about complicated situations and to respond quickly with the most efficacious resolution. While not all learning needs to be practical or hands-on, hence universities here in embodied life still exist, it's helpful to have practical knowledge to go along with the theory. Each guide, working with an embodied soul, will have a role or responsibility. One will monitor the charge's physical health and well-being. Another will watch the journey their person is taking and strive to help them stay on the best path to achieve their self-selected goals. One will monitor and support relationships, which include family, friends, and intimate partners. And still others might be working on areas such as finances and careers, spiritual path, service work beyond personal learning, and so on. But being responsible also comes with boundaries and limitations. The reason we make contracts with these beings beforehand is to specify what does and does not constitute a breach of our free will, because they can't unless we give them permission. It is dramatic and romantic to think of angels swooping in to rescue us from danger, keeping us safe in violent times, and standing by us when our lives are the most difficult. And it does happen, but only if we either already have or do in the moment give our guides or other beings the get-past-our-free-will card. It is part of the embodied experience for us to struggle, and therefore grow, achieve, and become. This means if our guides interfere, then we lose out on the experience we came here to obtain. We'll make lemons into lemonade, of course, but why lose the opportunity? Sometimes guides don't have a lot to do because their person's got it covered. Sometimes they don't have a lot to do because their person doesn't take on any of the challenges, lessons, or joys they plan to do this time around. Sometimes they're frantic trying to keep up with their person. And then there are others who are stuck playing charades with their person, trying desperately to get their message across to no avail. Our relationship with our guides is unique to us and them, just like any other relationship. It's a combination of the situation we're in, the choices we make, and the individuals with their own history and perspectives and personalities. With that said, there are some things you can do to really help matters. First and foremost, deal with your own stuff. This doesn't mean don't ask for guidance, but don't try to climb Mount Everest without getting fit and equipped first. Before you try to start doing something big, make sure you have your own personal stuff in order as much as possible, because you are responsible for yourself on this journey. Your guides have all kinds of advice and help and support to provide, but that's where everything should start. Think of yourself as Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz, 
everything starts from the central point, which is you. Yes, you will end up finding out everything you needed was in your own backyard. But first, make sure you put on the shoes and then take the path one step at a time. Other advice for working with guides? Be a scientist when it comes to asking questions. So many times we want a certain answer, and so what we ask and how we ask it is very, very specific to getting the answer. And therefore the answer we get is skewed and very limited. This leaves out all the good information which would be really helpful. Or our desire to have the answer we want, which isn't going to happen, keeps us from hearing the actual answer or prevents our guides from giving us the answer. Therefore, asking is an exercise in futility. Being a scientist and how you ask means being clear about what results you want, asking the question in such a way that you don't bias the answer, and then being open to the answer. For example, asking, is this relationship good for me, is way too general because there are very few situations which don't have some kind of silver lining. So the answer might be silence, or a qualified yes with no details. Another example, is this job I'm trying to get serving my best and highest good? Again, it's a bit general. Unless the job would chop your body up for spare parts while you're still alive, it's likely some portions of it would serve your best and highest good. So be a scientist. Ask what career or job or field or occupation would be for your best and highest good and withhold judgment on what information you receive. Detach the need for money and the inevitable fears, negative emotions we have around it from the equation and you'll hear the answer more clearly. Another common question is, is it possible for me to have a positive relationship right now? It may not be for a host of reasons. Start inspecting why. You might be delighted to find out your partner is around the corner, but you need to wait a bit. Or that there are revelations coming if you do this, that, or the other, which would then take you to a place personally and geographically where you can meet the one person who is best for you. So take care of you first. Then look at how you're asking the question and what questions you're asking, and take it in when you get the information. Because if you're open to receiving, then you'll get the message, and your guides will be forever grateful, literally. And that's all the time we have this week. Next time, we'll be looking at a few of the most common issues people run into when working in the Akashics. If you're interested in knowing more, check out my website, akashicreading.com. Thanks. Bye.